We all know people who put everything they have into helping others, or maybe you heard what I just said and felt a twinge because that's you. We're surrounded by helpers. That's the point of this podcast. But helping can become harmful without some self-care and personal boundaries to contain it. I talked with two psychologists who've identified what they call super helper syndrome, and I asked them how we can help the super helpers around us to take better care of themselves. I'm Josh Morgan. That conversation is coming up next on The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm a data analyst and sociologist living in Baltimore, Maryland, and I'm on a mission to meet as many kind and helpful people as I can in my lifetime. And I publish this podcast on the 15th of every month so I can introduce them to you. You can check out the episodes from the past nine years. You can subscribe if you haven't already, wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend if you like this episode. I hope you'll enjoy the show. This month, I'd like to introduce you to Jess Baker and Rod Vincent. They're a couple of chartered psychologists who live in Ludlow, England, a little over an hour west of Birmingham in Shropshire. Jess is a business psychologist who started writing a book during the COVID-19 pandemic, and she recruited her partner, Rod, to help. They published The Super Helper Syndrome, a survival guide for compassionate people in 2022. The short version of the book goes something like this. Super helpers are people who help others compulsively to the point where they neglect their own self-care. They often start helping others out of a place of love, but then accumulate irrational beliefs that can turn helping into a form of self-harm. Rod will explain the four irrational beliefs they've identified in a few minutes. The book includes tools and activities to help super helpers let go of these beliefs and set boundaries for themselves around helping and self-care. It's a remarkable piece of work, and it's my favorite book that I've read recently. I'm not kidding. That's why I'm honored that Jess and Rod made time to talk with me. I hope you'll check it out wherever you buy your books and recommend it to the helpers in your life. I promise it's like no other self-help book out there. Here's my conversation with Jess Baker and Rod Vincent co-authors of The Super Helper Syndrome. I'm curious, was there a eureka moment or an aha moment where you thought, you know, we should write a guide about Super Helper Syndrome and what it is? I kept having the, the, the most recent examples were, were happening quite quickly in, um, one after another. And this is kind of leading up to 2017, 2018, and then definitely into 2019. In my private coaching practice, I realized that more people who were coming to me for coaching were saying things like I'm, you know, or, or expressing in other ways, high in empathy, a high desire to uh, and need to look after others. So perhaps, you know, with a young family or aging parents or an aging spouse or, or what have you. And just this kind of almost constant um, stream of people saying, or expressing I'm helping other people to the detriment of my own well-being, you know, and saying that in a myriad, in myriad of ways, whether it was at work or in their personal life. And obviously those things are going to impact impact other areas of your life anyway. And when I, I kind of would say to Rod then, oh, I just I think I've got another coaching client with with this kind of with the same issue. And in my head, I was calling it super, you know, calling them or referring to them as super helpers in a kind of playful way, but never diagnosing or never trying to label any of my clients directly, but just talking about the situation and the the behaviors and the um the excuses I could hear and the language they were using. And when I said actually I think I need to write a book because I can't be a private coach to everybody in the world with this problem. And I think they are out there, 
it was then I began to realize I've got a whole history of uh, there are different milestones in my own life and Rod also in your own life as well, you know, the childhood messages, the role models, the people we've worked with, people in our family, in our communities, who we've also seen um, help to the detriment of their own well-being. So it, that's how it came together. So you're both chartered psychologists. And I have to ask, because I'm not sure, do you have separate practices or do you share practice? Like how how did you get experience with super helpers? I ran a basically a business psychology consultancy for, for many years, which um, was about things like leadership development. Um, some it started off with assessment, you know, so psychometrics and, and you know job assessment. But we we moved on into more leadership development and a lot of coaching as well. And so, so not clinical psychology, not not um, you know working in hospitals or or in any sort of that that sort of environment. Um, and I, I I've left that business now. I'm not doing that anymore. So I don't really practice in in that sense. Um, my main um, activity in, in related to psychology has been writing the book recently, whereas you, you yeah. know, you're, we, you're still practicing. Yeah. yeah, and as a business psychologist. So I did start um, my career in clinical psychology working in the National Health Service here in the UK. And I wanted to do that since I was 12, for reasons that will become apparent once you've read the book as well. And after a few years in the NHS, you know, amazing work, brilliant work, worked with some fantastic people and some patients and, and service users, but realized that I was a better fit to the business psychology world. And so, yeah, went into management consultancy and also then became self-employed and, and ran my own private coaching practice. Mm. And that's what I still do. And I run things like webinars for well-being programs for my corporate clients and you know speaking events but i also run online programs of my own as well um that can be yeah, some of them have been really popular so it's uh we bring a lot of different experiences to this books and and mm. to come to the very nub of it really i tried to write the book by myself um for a few months you know lockdown here in the uk lockdown march 2020 i wrote a whole list of things i wanted to do like with the time that's given to us and it included lots of little things like, you know, drink less, um, get really healthy, walk every day, <laughs> write a book. and Typical um, things, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I drank more, ate less healthily and didn't write a book. But all that time, you know, Roger and I would go on walks and we would be talking about the themes. And he'd be encouraging me, you know, have you written the book? Have you written the proposal yet? Have you got the idea, the structure? And it wasn't until September of that year. And I said to him, actually, I think I need your help here because he'd already written, you know, poetry stories, a couple of novels, um, and won awards as well. So, you know, why wasn't I tapping into this, you know, this resource as well? And not only that, he, he brings loads of psychology experience to it too. So thankfully you said yes. And that's probably the only reason why it got written, to, to be honest. Asking, asking, for, <laughs> asking for help is not one of the things that Jess finds easiest in life. And that's a big theme in the book, <laughs> you know, that um, people who help others very seldom ask for help yeah. themselves and find it I find it difficult to ask for help as well. So it's, it's, um, yeah, same do, here. Do, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, um, do you, Josh? Yeah. Do I find it difficult to ask for help? Uh, most definitely. I think it depends on what the situation is. And, yeah, I guess relating to what the concept of a super helper is, I guess there are times that come and go where I, I may identify as a super helper. But now I think I have that mostly under control. Um, I've, been in hundreds of hours of therapy to help me with those sorts of things. But I do know a lot of people that have been super helpers. Like 
there's one example that came to mind as I was reading the book because, you know, I'm a data analyst by day and I've primarily worked in education data with school districts. Mm. And I can clearly remember being on a call with someone at a school district who had just a deathly cough. And I said, you know, are, are you okay? Do you need to take time off? And she said, well, if I take time off, then no one will do my work. And I knew she was probably working 60 or maybe 70, 80 hours that week. And that's, that's just the kind of example I think of because I've had those kinds of encounters in my life. And I think your example, Jess, um, there's a beautifully written final chapter in this book about your experience growing up with your mom. And I just admire that you were able to discover how to break the super helper syndrome for yourself. Yeah. So I refer to myself as a recovering um, compulsive helper. And um, I have experienced most of the behaviors and and excuses and, and certainly the four irrational beliefs that we pull out, you know, in the earlier part of the book. Mm. And it was, it was the, they couldn't survive without me belief. The really, that was the one that, that surprised both of us the most. We, we could, we had a, in our head, an idea of the various profiles of different super helpers. So we never defined what a super helper is. We talk about the syndrome itself and the collection of behaviors and emotional reactions as well to finding yourself in this condition. But what we find is that so many people will readily acknowledge, oh, I'm a super helper, I'm a super helper, I'm a super, and they are so different. And there is not really one criteria, one set of criteria. And certainly that's not our aim either to try and pigeonhole people or, or give you another tick box exercise, mm-hmm. but rather draw your attention to the things that can happen as a result of giving more than you've got to give, you know, helping others to the detriment of your own being. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that they couldn't survive without me belief kind of came at the, came at the last uh, the last stage really of putting the theory together. And that really hit home for me. So I, I grew up with a mother who would pretty much tell me almost verbatim, you know, I can't survive without you. I need you. You need to do this and this and this and this and this. And even though I was, you know, perhaps six years old, eight years old, 10 years old, I was expected and asked to, or told to look after her in ways that I just wasn't, you know, and no child really is well developed to. Um, to give that kind of support, emotional support, physical help. And so realizing, wow, it really was, you know, so there were some deep childhood messages there I wanted, I'm needing to break away from and understand better. Mm. I had done loads of work. You, you said earlier, you know, psychotherapy is brilliant. I love it. And, you know, if I could, if I could afford a psychotherapist 24 seven, I would have one, but, um, <laughs> Because I've done so, some people will say, oh, you know, was it cathartic writing the book, Jess? And I'll say, not really. Um, In fact, it was cathartic when I did loads of work, you know, for the last couple of decades, I've been working really Mm. hard on myself, really hard on these themes of who am I? What do I need? Because I was never asked what I needed or wanted as a kid. So identifying that for myself, identifying that it's okay to have boundaries. It's okay not to feel selfish when you take time for yourself. So I kind of am living and breathing ex- example of, of lots of the things um, that we discuss in the book. Yeah. Um, in chapter 11, I'm really delighted to hear you say that you enjoyed reading that chapter. That was Rod's, I think, um, I personally think is a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, but you've, you've, well, tell the story of how it came about. Do you, you remember? 
Oh, about that chapter. If you don't mind, can we can we indulge? <laughs> yes, please. Just <laughs> so, sitting while I blow my own trumpet for a while. But I, <laughs> I, I suppose it was I had to finish the book because um, we sort of you know gone through all of the theory of you know, what is the super helper syndrome, which you can say quite simply as um, uh, helping others to the detriment of your own well being or, or um, looking after other people but not looking after your own needs. And we'd gone through the four irrational beliefs that helpers typically hold. Um, which are the, the the good person belief, which is helping because you want to ultimately prove to yourself that you're a good person, that, you, that you, and that helping is a good thing to do. Therefore, I to prove to myself that I'm of any value in this world. I have to help others. There are a lot of people who um, who, who believe that, I mean, not consciously, but um, when you start to, to really look at how they behave, it shows up. The help everyone belief, which is about um, just must help everyone, seeing the suffering all around you. Um, that's the one I most sort of associate with personally. I find constantly, I, especially after even now, after writing the book even more, I notice my massive urge to just help wherever there's an opportunity to help, even when it's totally not my job. And it's, you know, it's completely inappropriate sometimes, you know, that um, you'll, you'll call it out with me <laughs> now that... Um, it's, and that comes from my mother, who is also mentioned quite a lot in the book. She was a, definitely a very um, prone to the superhelper syndrome, especially to the third of those beliefs that helpers hold, which is the no needs belief, which is I shouldn't have any needs. And, and as you were just saying, Jess, Jess was brought up to believe that you shouldn't have any mm. needs. And my mother was a, a woman who n- never demonstrated any needs of her own through her whole life. She had four very selfish sons and a father and and, and a husband who certainly he, he did some things but you know but he didn't contribute that much either you know the, yeah we all depended on him and she gave and gave and into the community and in a thousand other ways and so i saw that and you know and she she was just sort of it's like the whole world suffering came down on her so that helped everyone believe and then the final one which um came up kind of later was that um, they couldn't survive without me, which is where you're looking after one particular person or um, you're in maybe a small group, but often a, a dependent relative or, or somebody like that. And you feel you're indispensable and you feel that you, know, you, you um, have a kind of duty to put your own needs to one side to look after this, this person because they are really in need. Mm-hmm. So we'd done all of that and we'd summarized that and we'd kind of, then we'd moved on into kind of some of the, the solutions and all that. And, th- and then of course you, you have to end a book somehow. <laughs> so coming back to your, your questions or Jess's question really about chapter 11. And I was thinking, I really didn't want to just sort of summarize it and say, Oh, here, here's what you, here's what we've covered and, and kind of, um, and here's how to take it forward. You know, I'm sure that's good, but it didn't feel like, you know, very exciting to me. So that's why. We we actually rented a, a cottage on the the um, Welsh coast, you know, which overlooking an amazing sea. And we and it was one morning really early. I just got up and started writing that writing Jess's story, which I had known for the last you know twenty years. <laughs> and um, but yeah, to, to to make make it personal about your mm. your journey. And originally, I'm sorry, I'm speaking on in your behalf now, but Jess didn't want her story in no. in the book. And it was our our publisher, our editor, who said. You know, please, can you put it in? Because at least then, you know, if if it doesn't work, we can take it out. But if I don't know what there is, and so many people, as as you've kind of alluded to, sort of say that the most power, a lot of the most powerful stuff is mm. the stuff that Jess really bravely put in. I think you know, and, and you know, sort of showed her vulnerability. So, yeah, I was going to say, it, it, I could see that being very difficult 
kind of the idea of opening up so that you can share your story. But, mm-hmm. but like Roger said, it, I think it's one of the most relatable parts of the book. It, yeah, it kind of so say that. Yeah. It, it kind of drives home the, this concept of what a super helper is and, you know, sharing your story, you know, illustrates it beautifully. Like I said, mm. it, it may have helped a bit to have me sort of write it in a oh, way. Yeah, because, oh, oh for sure. Yeah. 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 Especially <laughs> chapter 11 and chapter 11. I almost, I mean, most of the book we sat, you know, as we're sitting in front of a, you know, a, a video call with you now in, in front of the same Next computer. to each other in we front were, of the same you know, screen. One banging phone, yeah. And that's how we wrote 90% of the book. Yeah. We wrote it. Uh, I mean, we split up some of the stuff just did more of the end. We interviewed a lot of people, everyone from um, uh, n- n- sort of intensive care nurses, teachers, you mentioned teachers, um, accountants, you know, estate sorts, yeah. agents. I mean, anybody that's that said they had experienced, you know, helping yeah. to the detriment of their own well-being. We gave them um, a little assessment to do initially. And if they kind of passed that initial assessment, then. And yeah. we would set up an, uh, an interview and, and from all over the world as well with people. So that again, you know, being online was brilliant um, via Zoom usually. So I could see them. We could make eye contact. We could see each other. We could relate to each other. And sometimes we would even book in a part two because we didn't cover everything, you know. So there are hours and hours, like hundreds of hours of data, of um, quality yeah. data analyst at heart. So that's beautiful for me. Um, and you did most and, of that. So, and you, so whilst Rod was busy. You know, I did a lot of the reading, of the, the background reading. Of, yeah, sort of getting... Yeah, these brilliant philosophers and things from years ago as well. You were like, oh, actually, we need to bring some of this and we need to bring in Nietzsche. We need to bring in, you know, the biologists. Oh, yeah, Nietzsche, else. So right. It was, this book could not have been written by one person. You know, we, we no. have very different attributes and strengths to bring. So, yeah, and, and the story, I think definitely Rod, Rod knew most of that and was able to kind of interview me in that way and mm. say, you know, but I, I had a very strong boundary and both Rod and the editor knew that the boundary was it only goes in if it helps the reader understand something, you know, or elucidates a theme or just going to sit here and make it by me. And one of the reasons why we didn't put the story up front of the mm. book, because we wanted people to, to go on their own journey, you know, and, and as you said, Josh, you know, as well, like start yeah. reflecting on their own experience, either their own or, or that of other people. Um, so we didn't want to do that kind of dump that some people do. And that's fine. It works in lots of books where you say, hey, here's my story and here's why I've written the book. You know, mm. it just felt like it would be a bit too much like um, yeah, we, oversharing. Exactly. And we kind of wanted it to be, it's a bit like um, with, the, with Jess's coaching clients. They don't know a lot about you. They meet you as a professional. They meet you as somebody who kind of has some things to say and you know has has some, uh, you know, hopefully authority and can help them. Yeah. And we wanted the readers to meet Jess like that, you know, and, and, and then, then you disclose, you know, afterwards, you know, that's a kind of, um, mm. which you probably wouldn't do in a coaching relationship. No, but in the coaching relationship, what tends to happen is people realize, oh, you've got a social media platform. Oh, you've got this. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've got that. And they've become, they become to know you and your themes and the things you talk about, mm. you know, elsewhere. So that was the, uh, yeah. It's a level of self disclosure you weren't completely comfortable with my view. Yeah, no. Hopefully you are now. I don't, I don't know. know. Of, don't course. Know. <laughs> of course. It wouldn't have gone in other ways. But yeah. 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 Well, thank you that. for sharing your story because, you know, as we've already covered, um, that it really drove the point home of, you know, why super helper syndrome mm. is, is something that people can work through and, and come on on the other side of. But what I was going to mention, just hearing the two of you talk about this, it sounds like you already had a closer relationship and maybe this writing process helped kind of bring you together even more. It's just, it sounds like a, it sounds like a very lovely, uh, 
a lovely project that you've taken on. It's an amazing yeah. thing to do together. Can I say about what yeah. literary? Yeah. When, when <laughs> Jess said to our literary agent um, that uh, she wanted to write the book with me, she said, "Oh, really? And what if you split up?" And and, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it is it is quite. A, it's a very intense thing to do together. You know, as I say, we literally for most of it were sitting, you know, as close as we are now, in front of a keyboard, debating every single mm. word. And uh, yeah, and, and we. We laughed a lot, as you can probably tell. You know, we, 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 but we, there were times when we cried as well. And, and you know, it, it wasn't, um, all, always an easy journey, but it, it was an amazing thing. And we also learned how to work together better because you asked earlier whether we shared a, 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 psych, a psychology practice or anything, which we don't. So it was really the first time we worked on something i think anything like that mm. anyway we have, probably have done things I've, I, I, I've kind of helped with things, other things in your business but it was yeah much more intense and um i think we learned how to get the best out of each other so you know uh, if you're writing about a book about helping you better be you know be reasonably good at helping each other yeah, to write yeah. it I suppose. <laughs> and, and, and when there when there were tensions that we couldn't resolve quickly either in our relationship or the book or related to our approach to what happens next or what, what words go down next. We, we always said, okay, if it, if it isn't, if we can't bring compassion to this, let's mm. just take a break, you know, so we'd either go for a walk or do something mm. else or whatever, but we'd always come back and, and decide, okay, the book comes first, you know, what needs, what needs to happen for the book? What needs to happen for the reader right now? And I think that's, basically Jess is incredibly tolerant and, um, and, and compassionate, <laughs> loving person. That was going to help. Yeah. I've gotten an impression <laughs> of both of you. But I think... Um, help to get well, through this. Yeah, we, and we do. We bring such different strengths and characteristics, as you can probably already tell, um, to to anything. And I, and learning about each other in that way and really yeah, doing, like, almost being our own psychotherapist for that period as well, Josh. And that, like, okay, well, what I can see happening here is this and this and this. And that's not the intention or that's not whatever it is and so we would kind of sit down and unpack that for an hour yeah, before coming back to the, the screen because it's it's like jess was sort of custodian of the reader's experience and jess is in some ways you could say you know, one of the ideal readers of this book because it yeah you know, like the avatar of the book i guess yeah exactly yeah so and me as a kind of nerdy writer what an amazing experience to be sort of writing something and having your ideal reader sitting next to you sort of saying mm, not sure about it. because you know, I'd get carried away in trying to write something. I want to write something really you know, <laughs> beautiful or, or, you know, with some nice clever metaphor or something like that in. And Jess would be sort of saying, well, you know, maybe it didn't quite represent the, the, the way that those who are experienced super helper syndrome might really be feeling or experiencing things. And I'd have to say, Oh, all right then, you know, <laughs> and, and stop and, and, and really work out what it was that wasn't quite Right. So that sort of you know, authenticity of, of relating to the reader's experience and to the, you know, especially the interviewees and all the people that mm. you, you have spoken to. Can I just rave, <laughs> can I just rave about you again? Because uh, one of our, one of our friends actually was a beta reader and she said, um, oh, we, we were on a call with her at the same time. She said, Oh, Rod, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but, um, it really just sounds like a woman's voice. <laughs> and at this point, yeah. Rod punches the air, goes, yes, you know. So I it, sound like a, it sounds like a book <laughs> written by a woman. 
for women. Yeah. And I'll come back to that in a second because I have some points to make about that. But to a certain extent, that's probably a really good. And I, I just thought fantastic because it meant that you know I sort of We'd represented yeah. your, your experience in a way that wasn't trampling all over your mm. experience. But coming back to that thing about it, because we've been asked that a lot, and the obvious question on the back of that, is it just women? Well, no, we, we, you said you relate to it a lot. And one of the things that struck us, we, we've done some particularly festivals mm. this 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 year since the, you know, the book's been out a while, and we, we did um, some festivals. And it's particularly at festivals, the number of men coming up to us afterwards and coming up to me at talks and saying, you know, that that's me and and – um, has been really a revelation because I think I probably did think when we started writing it that it was massively more women than men. And maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not really interested in that. I'm just interested if you're a helper, whoever you are, you know, regardless of gender or anything else, then, um, you know, then I hope that this book has something for you. But it has been striking mm. how, how many men come up to mm. us and said that that's me. Yeah, one of them, his wife, then said, "No, what did she say?" Something like that. She kind of nudged him with her elbow and, yeah, and rolled her eyes. So it's bloody annoying. What <laughs> <laughs> fella? I know. So you know, going back to super helper syndrome and people that may have trouble setting boundaries for themselves, what are some suggestions you might have? How can they start to let go of those harmful beliefs that they may have that are helping perpetuate the super helper syndrome? Hmm. In the book, each one of those four irrational beliefs gets its own chapter. Yes. And towards the end of its own chapter, we have come up with a process that we call deconstructing. And so we help the reader deconstruct each of those beliefs. We take them through five different steps. One of the ways in which we, well, in which we propose to people is to understand what your irrational belief is and why you're holding it. You know, unpack that first. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a door opener for you. That's going to open the gates to you then having the potential to try and change your behavior, which brings me to boundaries. And there is a beautiful, juicy section. I mean, I, we probably could have written three books on boundaries, but you know, we had to keep a succinct. We use a fantastic case study. And, it, and when that person read their own case study, they contacted me saying, thank you so much for representing it in such a true way. And that's, you know, that is exactly what happened. So I'm really, really delighted with that. And a few other people have said that about their own words as well. And with boundaries, there are, I suppose, three very simple things to say right now, thinking about who you're helping, how you're helping them, and when you're helping them. And to think about it in those simple terms might, might help to initiate change even today or tomorrow, you know, to, to the listeners here with us now. So let's take who. Um, let's say you are helping as part of your job. So you spend, you know, every day in a very obvious helping role. Are you then also helping mm. your friend or neighbor in the evening? Are you helping someone in your family? Are you also taking on a voluntary role at the weekends? Now, all of that's lovely and commended and laudable. But if, if you're doing some of that and it's actually affecting you detrimentally, then which part of the who, you know, who do you want to stop helping first? Or is maybe you have a friend in your life and we talk the reader through this beautiful one of 49 activities in the book that we've designed called the friendometer, you know, maybe they're not such a friend, but maybe they're a helpee and maybe you are accidentally maintaining their dependency mm -hmm. on you for reasons that we unpack in the book. Maybe therefore you could just push back gently to that person and say, do you know what? I'd love to be able to do that, but not now. If you have the same problem next Wednesday, then maybe we can put some time in and I can try and help you. 
Yeah, I was just thinking maybe like scaling back the time that the person helps, not necessarily stopping altogether. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it might be the the how are you helping? And, and as, as you know, Josh, we pull out four different ways of, of helping in particular. And it might be that you, instead of jumping in with that compulsion to help and rescue someone from the drama in their life or the, the hideous relationship or the hideous work life they've got, you simply help in a different way by maybe just listening to them offload for 10 minutes, you know, every now and then or hugging them when they cry mm. rather than jumping in and trying to offer advice or things to to suggest how they should change things right now, because let's face it, those shoulds are, are never that helpful. So that's the when and the how, I think, and the who. I can't remember. I've lost my thread. Mm. I think you've done all of them. I think you've gone through all of them. <laughs> Have I? I think it's probably clear. Who, how, and where. Yeah. When. Uh, when. Or when, sorry. Yes. Yes. Or where, where would be equally valid. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, and thinking about my mom, you know, when she was alive, she would phone five times a day thereabouts. And each time it would be a different need and a different request and a different mm. demand. And, you know, I would try and put in boundaries and I'd try and say, hey, mom, instead of, you know, instead of me picking up on on a Wednesday when I'm at work or when I'm with clients, how about let's save it to Sunday? I can give you a whole hour of my all of my attention on Sunday, you know, at 12 o'clock or something like that. So that's about when and me trying to set a boundary of when I'm going to give time to others and when I'm going to try and protect my own needs. And I would say just based on my own experience, it takes practice. And sometimes it takes other people to coach you through it. Like just, mm. and that's going back to, you know, talking about it's difficult to ask for help sometimes, you know, asking for help with, you know, should I tell this person, you know, I can't do this today or, you know, maybe another time. I mean, mm. that's, that's another way of asking for help is, you know, with trying to learn how to, set boundaries in a comfortable way. Yeah. And sometimes you can enroll support from other people and you can say, Hey, I just need, you know, one client, you know, as a, as a mother and she's now telling her family, actually give mummy half an hour on a Saturday morning in bed quietly. And then we can do something fun together after that, you know, enroll support from others, but we'll know. And that it's very difficult to start setting boundaries with people who are expecting you to say yes to requests all the time. They might begin to take it personally. They might begin to resent you. And let's face it, no one who's benefiting from your help is really going to flag it up <laughs> to say, hey, you should stop helping me so much, you know, unless they love and respect <laughs> you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you um, for sharing that. I, I feel like a lot of people listening will take that to heart because like we've discussed, it, it can be difficult to know when to say when as far as dividing what they want to do versus taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you sharing that. As we're wrapping up here, is there anything you'd like to plug in addition to the book? Like where can we follow you online? Oh, I'm at Jess Baker Psych. That's P-S-Y-C-H at the end um, on all socials. So at Jess Baker Psych. You can use hashtag superhelper, hashtag superhelper syndrome, um, and you can look at the multitude of random various reels and celebrations and, and things on social media platforms. Mm-hmm. They can find my website, jessbaker.co.uk. And in addition to that, for any readers, uh, we do hold a free Facebook group. Oh, I should check that out. Yeah, <laughs> please do, Josh, please do. Sounds great. I feel like I could talk to you all day because you're lovely people. <laughs> so <laughs> well, thank you so much for asking us, Josh. It's yeah, really I, I really appreciate this. Um, the reason this book resonates with me so much is because I feel like it's a resource that I can use for years to come. So I 
you know, I, I can't say enough good things about it and not, not to put you on the spot, but yeah, I, I, I just have high praise for it. So I really am thankful that you made time to talk with me and that you wrote the book. So thank, thank you so much. That's deeply moving. It is. It's something yeah. Thanks Josh. And I really appreciate you giving us yeah. air time. This is the plural of you. I'm Josh Morgan and the show's website is plural of you.org. That's all for now. I thank you for being kind today. Take care.